um, we are going to talk about the chemical senses, taste and smell, uh, gustation and olfaction. Um, okay, so with, with taste and smell, you know, this will be an easy lecture compared to the others, uh, you know, so you can relax a little bit, uh, lean back, enjoy the show. And the, so with, with taste and smell, they're very important sensory systems in animals, in many animals, you know, where actually the, the, the structures supporting these functions take up a lot of the brain space. In humans, they're kind of really rudimentary uh, and, and not as important as many of the other senses. Yet they fulfill distinct roles, they're clinical symptoms associated with them, and uh, dysfunction or loss of these systems um, has, uh, has definite consequences for humans. So um, just the function of, of the taste and smell system uh, is really to serve as a, as a, as a kind of a, a gatekeeper and an inspector to what goes into our uh, system, right? Basic, oh, let me just, sorry, I'll have an issue here. So all the environmental uh, chemicals that we need for life enter through the nose or the mouth, right? Um, there they are checked basically and assessed uh, for their chemical uh, content, and that information is relayed through to our brain and to our consciousness and sometimes even our unconsciousness. Uh, and so in that way, there's a strong survival value of this chemical senses, right? So um, they, the chemical senses are really important for food selection and preparation. Uh, you know, they, they, they make sure that we, that we get only the stuff that is good for us into our bodies and avoid the ones that are bad for us. Um, and they also inform us about the dietary value of what we ingest. So... Um, you know, for all the different building blocks of what we have. For example, uh, do we get enough prote protein, glucose, minerals, and so on. Um, they also have a very much our uh, big part of the reward system. So every time you eat something, it's actually, if it's good food, it's really, really rewarding, really satisfying. Now, this is important. This is not just like that nature gave us just for fun and kicks. It's something that is really... Uh, makes a lot of sense because um, if you get rewarded for eating good food that tastes good, there's a lot of variety in taste and so on, uh, that influences your behavior in selecting your food, making your food choices, right? And uh, you're more likely to get a balanced uh, diet that way. So, for example, this idea that um, food works on the reward system uh, is actually quite quite important, especially when later in your classes, when you, uh, in the behavioral classes, when you talk about learning theory, uh, you will learn that food is a primary motivator, a primary reward. So here's my dog. <laughs> and, oh, well. Down, down, Good girl. Right, you get the idea. So, 
I, I, I trained her very basically with food reward to do all these things. That's what animal trainers do in, in, in zoos, at the police with dogs, you know, all these things. That's actually a lot of these principles also affect, you know, our behavior. Uh, so, so always keep this idea in mind that food is actually a reward. The, the, the taste sensation in itself is a reward. Okay, but then of course there's also a punishment, right? It can also act as a punishment that, hey, don't ingest these, uh, these type of uh, toxins and so on, right? So um, now if you have a loss of sense of smell or taste, usually the clinical implications aren't like really life-threatening. Uh, um, but they, they can have influences on the psychological health. So imagine all of a sudden food doesn't taste anymore. It's planned all the time. What kind of effect would that have on your life in terms of enjoyment uh, and in terms of uh, what you buy, what you eat? After a while, everything just becomes a mush and you just fill it in to, to basically cause satiety. But... Um, you, you might actually put the wrong stuff in, not enough of one versus the other, and so on. So that, that also is what your patients will face. Uh, especially elderly patients who uh, live alone, uh, they, have, they have problems, um, you know, uh, olfactory problems in old age is, is, is pretty high. And um, these patients then will have problems uh, picking the right food choices, having a, a, a balanced diet, and also detecting environmental uh, toxins and pollutants, for example, gas that has a smell, right? Uh, people are not able to detect this anymore. So this, this has like real life consequences in this sense. Okay, so um, let's start with taste. So you have molecules uh, that enter your, your mouth, uh, mixed with saliva, and then a bind to taste receptors and you get a taste perception. Okay. Let's see here. Oh. What's that? Can you reset this? Okay. Okay, everybody here? This is for attendance. Yep. There you go. So, yeah, we have five basic taste qualities here. Um, we have uh, sweet, which is basically telling your body, uh, do I get enough energy? Right? Or does this, have, does this food have enough energy, what I kind of need right now? Um, sour, it's kind of an acid taste. Uh, it warns against intake of toxic chemicals. We have salty, uh, do I get enough minerals? Bitter, it's against also another uh, you know, detector for, for, for environmental uh, toxins. And then there is umami, uh, which roughly translates into deliciousness. Uh, which is the active or the taste component uh, in, in, in a lot of uh, Asian foods, um, monosodium glutamate, SMG, MSG, right? And it's, a, it's, a, it's been known in, in, in Asian cultures for a while, but only uh, recently it's been added 
as one of the basic taste qualities after the discovery of a receptor for it. Uh, so it's, it's what you usually perceive as frothy, meaty, sweet type of flavor. In Grenada, they call it seasoning salt. Okay, <laughs> so there, there used to be, uh, for a long time we thought actually taste receptors are distributed along the tongue in specific areas, like the, 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 the tip of the tongue is for sweet, the back is more salty and so on. But that actually has changed in the last uh, 10, 20 years, that, that understanding, uh, which is kind of mind-blowing in a way, that something so simple or so basic about a sensory system can change really completely. Because now what we think is here, uh, we have, um, we actually have the distribution of bitter, salty, sweet, umami, and sour is actually uniform across the whole tongue. Um, and this is conceptually very different. So how can people miss this, right? So this shows that actually the chemical senses are vastly, in humans are vastly understudied uh, because of their more peripheral importance, but also they are really difficult to study because they provide, uh, you know, the, the, the delivering the stimuli is not so easy and also the uh, reporting the effects of it are often escape our real conscious uh, uh, awareness very much, um, which we'll, you'll see uh, based on the brain structures that are connected to the olfactory system. We're just not olfactorily aware uh, as we are visually aware, for example. Okay, so right. So, so this is kind of uh, the new new view on this. Receptors for all the five taste qualities are equally. Uh, are distributed across the whole tongue, right? So that's different. Here, the components of the taste system, you've, uh, you've, you've had those in anatomy. You have papillae, you have taste pores, taste buds that house the taste receptor cells, uh, which then have efferent to gustatory axons, which then ultimately reach the gustatory cortex. And now we also have new findings about how the receptor cells are distributed uh, within here. So the, the jury is still out. There are different theories uh, that for the different tastes here in color, you actually have, uh, have, have, um, have them all represented in, uh, in, in, in one of the uh, taste receptor cells, uh, sorry, in, in, in the taste buds, right? Okay. Um, now let's look at a taste bud. You have the taste pore here. Uh, that where the, uh, basically with the receptor cell where the chemical binds to. Uh, and then you have an efferent, efferent fiber uh, that goes to the brain. And then you have basal cells. These basal cells are uh, basically cells that are ready there to take over the, uh, the function of the receptor cell uh, and uh, are therefore regenerating the receptor cells. So when you brush your... your your, your teeth and you, you kind of brush your tongue, you're likely to destroy some receptor cells, but these get kind of replaced through the basal cells and you have new receptor cells there. Or when you uh, eat something hot or something else that uh, destroys these, right? So there are different uh, type of uh, signal transduction within the, um, within the uh, taste system. Uh, you have the ionotropic conduction for salty and sour. And for sweet and bitter, you have metabotropic conduction. 
and um, this basically shows how the how how the actual molecule uh, binds to the receptor cell. Uh, I wrote this out to here to you here. I, I won't read it to you because it's just too boring. There's not so much to say about it. You can read it, and then uh, there's more of it in the blue slides. But just be but but just know that there for the different taste qualities for the dis different molecules uh, and receptor cells, there are different binding mechanisms. Okay. That you go here. Okay, but pathways, right? So um, what you have here with pathways is that the the tongue, which is basically your 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 location for for taste uh, transduction, uh, is 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 innervated by uh, three different cranial nerves: by the vagus nerve, the glossopharyngeal nerve, and the facial nerve. And the innervation is roughly corresponding to what I put here. So the facial nerve more in the anterior part and the vagus nerve more in the posterior part. Now, <clears throat> um, the, 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 the primary, and it's again a three neuron chain, as you're used to from the other sensory systems. Uh, the first uh, afferent fiber uh, enters at the medulla in the solitary nucleus of the solitary tract, or the solitary nucleus, uh, where there's the first synapse. Then it uh, ascends into the thalamus and the VPM, the ventroposterior medial nucleus of the thalamus. And from there, another synapse, and it goes into the primary gustatory cortex, which is uh, in the insula and in the frontal operculum. Now, what do you notice is a slightly different here than from all the other tracks that we looked at? What? It's ipsilateral, exactly. So in the, what that actually means is that any damage to this system causes only ipsilateral damage. So when you hear taste, it's ipsilateral, no matter what. There will never be a contralateral. Even though, I put that in, in, in like... Uh, you know, just quotation marks, because there's some recent evidence that it might, but that is not really uh, important at this point. So that, that there's, there's a jury still out as well. Okay. Ask a question. Okay. Is ready? Quick. Okay. Yeah. Good. Perfect. So uh, that's correct because the right side of the tongue 
because um, we have basically what's called hemilingual innovation of the tongue, uh, enters the CNS here at the, ponta, uh, at the medulla, travels up to the thalamus and then to the right cortex. So damage to the right gustatory cortex here in the insula or frontal operculum causes right-sided ipsilateral uh, loss of taste in the tongue. Cool. So let's talk about another prominent brain, uh, brain structure. I wonder if you know this movie. A laughter of recognition. Because of an enlarged medulla oblongata. It's the Oh, there's no sound. Oh, my. Can we get sound, please? This is important. Let's try of an enlarged medulla oblongata. Okay. I gotta be quiet. Just savor this. Because of an enlarged medulla oblongata. It's the sector of the brain which controls aggressive behavior. That is correct. The medulla oblongata. Mama? The medulla oblongata. Right. I don't know. I find this really funny. Because of an enlarged... Okay. Let's talk about the medulla oblongata. Right, you have it here on the MRI. <laughs> now, um, what makes taste uh, kind of uh, an interesting uh, uh, kind of uh, sensory, well, you find it in, in, in exams questions a lot. You know, you find damage to the solitary nucleus uh, in, 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 for example, Wallenberg syndrome, which is uh, a lesion to the dorsolateral part of the medulla. Uh, so you have here, this is the dorsolateral part of the medulla. You have, oh, sorry, point options. This is the dorsolateral part of the medulla. And that's where a lot of these pathways and nuclei uh, of different pathways come together in really close proximity. And if you have a uh, occlusion of the posterior inferior cerebral artery here, especially the dorsolateral branch here, you get a lesion right here, and it affects all these systems, right? You remember the anterolateral system that ascends there? So you have a lesion there, right? That's pain from the body, right? What about the spinal trigeminal nucleus? Right, pain from the face. And what about the solitary nucleus? Taste from the tongue. <laughs> Great. Okay, so now think about this. Let's say you have a lesion here on one side. What kind of, in those three systems, what sort of uh, uh, pattern of symptoms would you expect? Right? Okay, well, we have a question for that.
Okay. Nice. Yeah. Very good. Exactly. So what you get here, loss of taste, so the, it's a right lesion, right? So you can only get ipsilateral here. Um, at the level of the medulla, pain from the body has already decussated at the level of the spinal cord, right? And then loss of pain from the face uh, is also on the ipsilateral side because it hasn't decussated there yet. The cranial, the trigeminal nerve uh, enters the medulla there. It goes into the pons, uh, then you have the, the tactile information decussates in the pons, and then, it, uh, the, and then the pain sensation from the face actually descends into the medulla uh, before it decussates there. So that's correct. So this is also kind of the pattern of symptoms you see in Pica syndrome or Wallenberg uh, syndrome or dorsolateral medullary syndrome. And there might be a case on that, a clinical case, but I just wanted to prepare you for this. Oh, yeah, exactly. So taste never crosses, has not crossed yet, and uh, this has already crossed the anterolateral system. Okay, so then let's move on to the next stage in the processing. Uh, after the thalamus, we get the gustatory cortex, which is uh, located here in the anterior insula lobe. Uh, if you open this up here, uh, you see here the anterior insula lobe uh, is right there. It's really deeply buried. Uh, here's another view. Uh, again, innervations from the tongue enter the medulla in the um, nucleus of the solitary tract ascends to the uh, nucle VPM nucleus of the thalamus and then here into the gustatory cortex, which is the front, front part, the anterior part of the insula or the frontal operculum. Okay, okay so that's uh, taste. Now let's talk about the chemical sense system of smell, right? So you have, small, smell, uh, you have a, uh, a vaporized chemical molecule that's part in the air uh, that enters your nose very often in synchrony with the respiratory cycle because you inhale 
you, you draw in those air molecules with the, with the chemicals dissolved in it, and, and they basically enter your nose. And there, there's the, you have the, in the nose, you have the olfactory epithelium, uh, where these, um, these odor molecules kind of stick to. And then, actually, uh, you have the receptor sitting in there. You have transduction occurring. And then uh, the information is sent through the olfactory bulb uh, into the uh, <coughs> brain, right? Um, what's really, just before we move on here, what's really important also to, to, to recognize is that when we talk about taste perception, like on a, in, a, in a non-scientific kind of colloquial terms, like, oh, I can't taste anymore, uh, what that actually is, is most of it is of stimulation of olfactory neurons, right? It's, it's actually an olfactory sensation that often gets misinterpreted as taste. Because what is happening when we take a nice big bite out of a juicy hamburger, right? What, what happens is, yes, there are uh, molecules dissolve and get, get uh, transducted, uh, and, and, and we have uh, um, taste, uh, the taste pathway is activated on the tongue right here. We also have what's called retronasal olfaction, right? So that all these, uh, um, all the vapors, uh, air molecules um, also come up here retronasally here through the uh, through here up into the nose and bind to the ol ol olfactory receptors and actually call an olfactory kind of uh, activate the olfactory pathway. Now, so we can say that actually when we taste something, we have mostly, it's a flavor perception. So it's the, it's flavor is not just uh, smell and taste, but it's, it's kind of the combination of the two, right? So that's why when you have a patient who comes in and says, oh, I can't taste anything anymore, there might not be something wrong with their gustatory system, right? It might be just the olfactory system. For example, when you have a cold and your nose is blocked, that if it essentially limits uh, retronasal olfaction and, and all the food doesn't taste so good anymore, right? Okay, so you have here the olfactory epithelium. You have the olfactory cells there in there. Uh, they basically, uh, the receptor cells go through the cribriform plate here, uh, which is really also an important structure clinically uh, because you, you see this. So this goes through the, through the bone here, and these are really delicate, del delicate little, little axons here. Uh, they're not heavily protected. This is like rough bone. Um, and when you're, for example, in a motor vehicle accident, uh, people with traumatic brain injury, often have like uh, uh, signs of uh, anosmia, so loss of olfaction, because of this, this, this rapid like uh, acceleration and deceleration, uh, you have a compression and shearing going on here, uh, cutting all the olfactory uh, receptor cells here. So um, that's, that's, that's a very common, common thing. We'll talk about it a, a bit more. Now, then you have here the olfactory bulb, and your second-order olfactory neurons that form the olfactory tract. And um, then they go through the olfactory uh, tract uh, to the primary olfactory cortex. 
So if you just look at the olfactory epithelium here a little bit more, um, you have a, a, a molecule binding here uh, to the receptor neuron that then uh, transmits in, uh, the information to, in an afferent fiber. You also have here, just like in the taste system, these basal cells that regenerate continuously. Um, they, they replace about every, they, the basal cells replace the receptor neurons about every 30 to 60 days or so. Uh, you know, that makes also sense because you, you don't, these, these, uh, these cells are exposed to potentially toxic chemicals, right, that they have to detect. So sometimes that they can just get a bit too much. If you get too much of a whiff of something or so, so um, that's, that's why that is there. Again, there is a, a signal transduction process uh, that, that is laid out here. Um, also, in the, uh, because of time, I won't go into this, but there is uh, a, a, a written notes there that you can read and also extensive uh, notes in the, in, the, in the blue slides. Okay, so how are different odor qualities uh, coded, right? So um, what you have is essentially, there's not like one receptor for strawberry, right? There's not one receptor for vanilla or something like that, right? Instead, uh, there are many receptors that, that somehow, and we don't know yet how that really works, uh, detect chemical compositions, and their combined firing um, creates what's called a population code, and by that population code, the, the brain decodes that uh, and, and says, okay, this is a banana, right, smell. So the way this works, we had this earlier, for example, you have a receptor neuron number one to this particular citrus stimulus fires a lot, the next one a little less, this one there, and then uh, you have others for peppermint that fire differently. And basically, based on these different firing patterns of these individual uh, uh, neurons, uh, you, you kind of create, your brain creates this perception of, hey, this smells like a banana. And of course, you have learned that this particular firing, every time there's a, there's a banana molecules act on the olfactory epithelium and, and the receptor cells, you, you know now that this kind of firing pattern in your brain corresponds to banana, right? So if you learn a new taste, or, uh, sorry, a new smell, uh, you know, you might not have smelled it before, but you can still recognize it's something in, unique and individual. And then you expose yourself a few times to it, and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, that's sour sop. Right? Okay. Um, and then, of course, there are thousands of receptors that participate in this, uh, and tens of thousands of odorants, and somehow our brains, uh, our olfactory system can do this. And uh, we don't know yet how, but it does that most likely in this way. Okay. So once, one, uh, once you have uh, the transduction Construction process is, uh, is completed. Uh, you have the information traveling down the olfactory tract uh, that then goes uh, into the olfactory cortex, which is made out of the uh, piriform cortex and the entorhinal cortex here. Um, and you have also um, other connections to a lot of other hosts of um, structures, like the amygdala, the hippocampus, 
the prefrontal cortex, and then also finally the thalamus, which is kind of interesting because what you see here is actually this is the only system uh, that uh, does not, sensory system that does not enter the thalamus before it enters the cortex, right? Um, also, um, the, our conscious access to olfactory perception, sensation, uh, is actually limited, right? Uh, but, so we, we don't have the, the, really the vocabulary so much to describe a lot of different uh, tastes and flavors. I mean, people who study uh, wine try to do that, with, uh, establish a, a large repertoire, but that's, that's, that's really hard to do. And, and there's a lot of subjectivity to it, and a lot of it actually um, escapes our conscious access. Uh, that's because there are these, these really low, phylogenetically really low structures, old structures involved of brain development, like the amygdala, uh, the hippocampus, uh, the limbic system, and so on. But it means uh, that odors can evoke strong emotions, memories, uh, and so you might have experienced those. Okay, so again, let's talk about the olfactory cortex. Like here, the olfactory bulb and the olfactory tracts are always easily noted. Uh, then you have here the, the, the piriform cortex, uh, the entorhinal cortex, and these make the primary uh, olfactory cortex. They're all around the uncus. And then you have the amygdala is very close, kind of buried in here. And here again, the same in Broadman's area of use. This is a sagittal midline section. Visual cortex. Okay. Oh, and then you, you have the limbic system. That's, that's really close, and that has... Uh, tight connections with the olfactory uh, cortex. Okay, so that's in terms of the physiology, the neurophysiology. Um, there are some materials here for, for, for self-study, for testing the olfactory and the taste system, uh, but basically it's, it's pretty simple and straightforward. There's not much uh, technology involved. Uh, there's not much lateralization and innovation and, uh, and so on that, that, that you need to be aware of. Uh, it's, it's more like, does it work or doesn't it work, right? So, um, so for, for taste function, you have these cut, uh, you, you have like, you usually use some water, you put uh, salt in there or sugar, uh, and then you have cotton swabs and uh, you, taste, uh, you place that in the patient's, on the patient's tongue. Uh, Mostly, testing is only done in the anterior part because of just comfort. Um, and you probably want to test the right separately from the left side of the tongue. And in between, you want to rinse the pellet, you know, to, to, take, to take all the uh, material off, right? Um, for neurological examination of olfactory function, it's equally simple. Uh, you, you can use soap, coffee beans, uh, vanilla, citrus. Um, you have your little containers, keep them fresh. Maybe um, Now, what you have to be careful is, though, that in the olfactory epithelium, you have also free nerve endings, 
uh, Noki scepters that uh, are innervated by cranial nerve number five, the trigeminal nerve. So if you stimulate those, uh, what's the most likely thing if you stimulate those? What happens? What's your behavioral response? Sneeze, exactly. You, that's when you sneeze. Um, and, and that happens when you have like, for example, you can have a, uh, an odor, like a, 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 an artificial odor like amyl acetate, smells like banana, like fake banana in a candy. Um, you know, that's an odorant at low concentrations, but at high concentration it becomes a trigeminal stimulus, a, a nociceptive stimulus activating the trigeminal pain system. You start sneezing and so on. And now this is a different system that's innovated. So you, ha you have to make sure that the, what, the way you test is actually odorous uh, um, molecules and not trigeminal activating noxious nocci stimuli. And you ask, do you smell anything, right? Yes, no. Of course, you keep the eyes closed. And then you also want to say, um, can you identify it? Because odor detection is different from odor uh, identification. They happen most likely in different structures. The odor identification, just the signal, yes, there's a smell versus not, you know, uh, is related to piriform uh, activation, primary auditory cortex. And then later, the odor identification, what smell is it, is more related to entorhinal cortex activity. I'm going to write that down. And odor identification, entorhinal cortex activity. Processing. So you can have uh, hypoglucia, which is decreased taste function. You can have that uh, due to local pathology in, in the mouth. Um, uh, anything that can destroy taste buds, chemicals that you ingest uh, or, 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 or taste. Uh, and then uh, you can have like simple agusa, loss of taste function, and um, there's also in belt palsy of uh, damage to cranial nerve number five there from the anterior tongue, which is very important, I think, in a lot of taste functions, uh, especially the anterior parts. But it doesn't selectively uh, destroy sour, uh, sweet taste, right? Because that's not where the sweet receptors are located. They are distributed across the whole tongue, as we know now. Okay. Now, then you have loss of smell function. Uh, you can have anosmia, which is the total loss of smell function. Um, you know, you can have compression of the olfactory structures by tumor. You ha can have shearing of the olfactory receptor cells through the cribriform plate. Um, Okay, and then you also can have age-related loss of smell, right? So you can see here, uh, this, is, this is H on the x-axis, and this is the odor identif identification score from the UPSET, the University of Pennsylvania Smell Identification Test, which is kind of neat. It's a scratch and sniff test. You scratch it. And then you ask, oh, does it smell like walnut or watermelon or 
you know, banana. And you can see here really clearly that uh, at around age 60, there's a sharp decline in odor identification. Now, there's an, there's a con of course, everything declines with age, and there's an increased chance that uh, with age, just by accumulation of accidents, that you can have t and loss, but there, there's also uh, olfactory loss, and taste, special olfactory loss has also been linked to neurodegenerative diseases. There are some, uh, there's some research out there that says, for example, in Alzheimer's disease, the first sign, the preclinical signs, before you have the typical memory loss, you actually have a, a particular pattern of decline in olfactory, uh, uh, in, in, in olfactory capability. Um, okay, so ready for another question? So you should be able to answer this question without knowing at what level of the structure this is on. Just by deduction. All right. Okay. So, uh, still some confusion, maybe because this was part of the slides on smell. Um, what happens here is you have ipsilateral loss of taste, right? Um, so this is the brainstem, right? Somewhere in the brainstem. Does olfaction go into the brainstem? No. So it can only be taste. And can it be contralateral taste? No. So just ipsilateral taste here. Okay, let's do another one.
Okay. Oh. So it's both, right? Of course, what's damaged here is probably only the olfactory system, but your patient may report also loss of taste because uh, of, of this taste essentially is a flavor perception that integrates both the, uh, what hits the tongue and what hits the nose uh, through retronasal olfaction. So the complaints uh, most likely is, is to both. Okay. Okay, the, just read this really quick. This is from uh, epilepsy.com, like just a patient sub report, subjective report. It's not a question. Or maybe, yeah, no, it will be a question. So what this woman is, she, she ha this woman has epilepsy. Uh, have you had your lecture on epilepsy yet? Right, so, so it's, a it's basically this aberrant firing of neurons somewhere in the brain. Uh, in focal epilepsy, it can be in the visual cortex, it can be in the temporal lobe, uh, and it's this hypersynchronization of uh, neuronal activity that starts in a focal region, and, and then because of this synchronization of neurons, they like, kind of like to synchronize and oscillate at, at, at similar frequencies. It spreads out to other regions of the brain, right? So before you actually have uh, like motor symptoms, you know, the shaking, what, what is uh, kind of a, you know, what's often associated with, 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 with seizures, uh, but not, not necessarily have to be part of seizures, is activation of the motor cortex, right? But that only, most of the time, happens only much, much later after the uh, Caesar has generalized to the, to the, to the cortex. Um, but you can have auras uh, that are really good clues about uh, where the, 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 the seizure focuses, where, where it started all, and that makes an excellent surgical resection site because then the, the seizure will never actually start again. So you have a lot of, in temporal lobe is a, is a very, temporal lobe seizures are very prominent. That's a, a structure where you have a lot of, or used to at least have a lot of uh, seizures originating, and uh, you can have auras associated with that. So this is um, basically the experience of smell, burnt smell, rotten eggs, something like that uh, is, is often reported. It's, it comes from activation of olfactory structures in the temporal lobe that then simulate or create the perception of, of, of that. And you can also, so this woman is uh, not experiencing auras because she didn't have any follow-up seizures, um, but she also has olfactory hallucinations uh, that are probably triggered uh, by the epilepsy without having a follow-up seizure. Okay. Well, okay, so, well, you know this. The correct answer 
is right here, G, the olfactory cortex, right there, piriform cortex. Uh, that's where these seizures are generated. Okay, um, it has been a pleasure. This was my last lecture here. Oh, <laughs> you make me cry. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really enjoyed uh, uh, going through these lectures with you, and uh, you're, you're a great group, and I've never worked with anybody so determined. So it's, 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 really, it's been really a lot of fun, and I wish you all the best. Thanks. Let me just save this. Oh, yeah.